Hi, and welcome to State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Derek, your Master of Ceremonies, subbing in for Lee this week, and this is episode 84. My guest this week is outspoken, in-your-face New York comic Sarah Harvard. In NYCF Best New Comics, Sarah's work has been featured on Hulu, HBO Women, and some little station called NBC. Sarah also happens to be an experienced copywriter, editorial lead, content manager, and journalist. But at the heart of it all, Sarah is a giver, giving other comics the chance to strut their stuff, producing both Shut Up and Laugh and The Heckle Mike, where no one is safe. I have no idea what you and I are in for, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Harvard. Thank you so much. I'm super excited, and, and I feel like you need me sound more badass than I actually am. Oh, I'm you're actually... definitely badass. I've seen you on stage. <laughs> but I'm also sweet. I guess I'm like a Sarah Patch kid a little bit, I hope. But, uh, but thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Okay, that's great. So I'm just going to dive right in. How did your journey into the world of comedy begin? Yeah, that's, it's an interesting one. So, like, I guess my whole entire life, people have been telling me that I'm pretty funny. But, you know, I, growing up as, like, you know, Asian, an Asian household, as a Muslim household and an Arab household, I never felt like comedy was an option as a career, was feasible. So I actually started out as a journalist um, and, like, you know, and I really cared about, like, writing stories about my communities and, like, people, like, for example, like, my grandmother was a child bride from Morocco who never learned how to read or write. And like the first time she ever wrote her name was in front of me and I was like eight years old. And so for me, it was like super important to like have a voice. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but like I've, I'm like a byproduct of someone who like never had that option because they didn't have a voice. They didn't live the life that they, a fulfilled life in a way, and live up to their potential. And so, like, I was like, okay, well, you know, sharing stories is really important for me. Elevating voice is really important for me. And I guess the only way of going about it is journalism. But then I would go on Twitter and, like, oftentimes tweet about current events or anything political happening on, uh, happening in the world with a little bit of humor. Um, and then that kind of got me attention to a lot of these comics. And it was until like I built this network of like really powerful um, go-getters in like the political world. Um, one of them invited me to their wedding, and one of them was a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and she wow. oh, sorry, Nobel Peace Prize nominee, which is still as impressive. Yes. <laughs> but she uh, she told me that like, dude, you're so funny. You have to do comedy. I will pay for your classes. Like, you will make it an SNL one day, whatever. And I was like, ah, whatever. And I was like, you know what? Don't pay the class. I don't want, because I don't want the idea of being owed, any, like, my career to anyone or anything. I want to be able to, like, say I did it kind of, like, on my own terms. But uh, I took her advice. I took a comedy class um, with Rick Rom at the Comedy Cellar. And then, like, the rest was history. Just kind of, kind of, like, stuck through it. And I, I had the mentality that, like, if I'm gonna do stand up, I'm gonna do it every day and not quit. And, and I guess like I'll, my whole philosophy right now is that like for me, comedy is a tool for me to share my voice and and, and also like I guess we'll go more into it later. But like basically, tell a different side of stories that we don't hear about Asian women, about Muslim women, about women in general, about Arab women, um, and. It's, it's my chance to kind of, like, tell my own story in my own terms. Um, and I, I keep telling myself that, like, I'll keep doing this until I'm no longer having fun. And I, and I feel like I'm no longer doing it in service uh, to my mission. But 
yeah, that's pretty much the story of how I got a SparkNotes version of how I got into comedy. Well, I can definitely tell that you're having fun. That's the one thing I really enjoy. For me, it's like hard. I try not to watch a lot of stand-up comedy of like Netflix specials because I'm like so deathly afraid of like subconsciously mimicking some of these comics on stage, you know? Um, but then I do see some other comics live and like I know it is that the comics I really enjoy the most, they might not have the best joke writing or like, they might not even be considered the funniest, but what I enjoy the most about them is that you can clearly see that they enjoy doing comedy on stage, you know? And there's a lot of comics that I see both in the up and coming open mic scene and also like at the comedy store in London, you know, at Netflix, but they're on stage and it looks like it's a chore for them and it's just not as fun or entertaining and, and it's kind of like I don't know but I, I do I do like having fun I like I don't know I like laughing myself I like laughing at the at the face of like the world's trauma I, like, I, I always say that like I laugh to keep myself from crying and I feel like I try to really emulate that with my sets and my stand-up I think that's the only way we can defy you know I guess like tyranny and oppression and trauma and you know, all the horrible things are happening in the world that like to laugh at it so I feel like a lot of times people want to break our spirit and and it sounds like a cliche but I think comedy and, and laughing and finding the silver lining and things finding the humor in the darkest moments over time is a way to kind of defy those hardships and those oppression and uh, oppressive moments in our time I want to talk about your influences I know because um, I follow you very closely on Instagram you cited George Carlin who I love to no end. I was actually talking to Dylan Adler about this on a previously aired episode. Um, my parents took me to see him live before. I, I don't think I was even 10 years old yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious about who else influenced you. Yeah, so I, uh, it's just uh, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce are both big influenced me, not in terms of style of comedy, but just the mindset of comedy, where I feel like they're constantly, you know, pushing against the status quo, uh, pushing against social boundaries, social norms, um, and the pursuit of, like, free speech. And, like, free speech in a sense, like, I feel like nowadays the free speech movement has been co-opted by right-wing fanatics who feel like they should be able to oppress minorities or, or marginalized people using racial slurs and all that crazy stuff. But what I liked about William Bruce and, and George Carlin is that they use comedy, they use, and they fought for free speech to criticize oppressive regimes, you know, like organized religion in a way that was oppressing, you know, so many marginalized people, um, and just like traditional, I mean, I guess a super conservative uh, traditions diminish the spirit of people who are different, you know, and like, for example, Lenny Bruce always championed, um, you know, like sex workers and, and people who um, identify as, like, as gay, and, um, and I, th I thought, like, for me, it's like, I want my comedy to kind of be like that, but in, a, in with a little modern twist, because as I mentioned before, I feel like the world kind of tells me both, both like I guess like American culture, American society, and then the general world, but also like in traditional Muslim uh, society and Japanese society, they have a very narrow-minded view of what women can be like. And I'm trying to change that sometimes in a way that's really in your face. It might be too much for people, but that's the point. I feel like sometimes we're too comfortable 
and needs to be pushed out of her comfort zone. And I feel like my comedy is, that's what I'm trying to aim for in my comedy. Um, and that's how, I guess, like George Clark and Lenny Bruce are like, um, are my influence in that way. That they're, they're, they don't care about the repercussions. They, I don't know. I don't want to say that they're martyrs of comics. I feel like that's like a little too much. But they're idealists and they're not afraid at the repercussions of, I guess, going against um, powerful forces and, and, and social norms. And I, I admire that. And, um, and I try to emulate that in the best way I can and, and in my own way um, through my comedy. I saw you um, with a group of friends at the very big, very Asian festival. It must have been a month or two ago. You were one of the most memorable comics on the bill yelling, I'm horny, boasting about your high school wrestling record. Yeah. I remembered you. Um, there was this guy named Aaron in the audience who you just, um, <laughs> the crowd play was was pure expertise. Is it therapeutic to be on stage and be so raw and vulnerable like that? Yes, it is. It's so funny because I feel like I am so shy and insecure interpersonally with interpersonal communication and relationships and like my whole life I've been bullied and like and I love my parents but like Asian and Arab parents are they have a different way of showing love and that's through brutal honesty and nitpicking every little flaw that you have and um so I always never felt like sad to say like good enough for people I always thought I was weird or like annoying or not as pretty or, or all this stuff in the micro level but when i'm on stage it's like here are my own here's all my insecurities i'm laughing about it here here it is all in the raw form take me as i am and to share all of that and then have people laugh with me that that laugh like it's not that they're laughing at me they're laughing with me and it's that like kind of form of acceptance that i feel like i never like got growing up or even get right now in an individual i guess like setting but on stage, it is therapeutic like that, and um, and it's it's great. Like it's it's so interesting. Like I am like I always talk about things I'm super insecure about on stage, and uh, and people la- and I feel like those laughter that we get. I feel like my, for example, I think my, my mom and dad haven't seen much of my stand up. Thank God. But like, I feel like if they seen like if my mom saw me talk about me being fat on stage, she'd be like, "That's embarrassing. People are laughing at you." But the way I see it is that, no, they're laughing with me. And the reason why they're laughing is that they recognize that struggle. They rec- they relate with that. They're laughing because they connect with me, not because they think I'm an embarrassment. They're laughing because they also share those insecurities. And then they find, and they laugh because they finally found uh, a plus side or, or, or something to laugh about, you know, with on that issue. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's therapeutic for me. And I, I hope it's mostly therapeutic for other people i don't know this is like okay for me to say but i've been working on a couple of jokes as a sexual assault survivor and the hardest part about it is letting the audience know that i'm joking about it as a form of like therapy but also like it's my way of taking my own agency back you know this is my way of empowering myself and they're funny jokes i always say these jokes and then like the crowd like oh but they want to laugh and I was like dude you know you can hold in all that laughter all you want but that's not gonna get me unraped you know like just go ahead and like laugh through it and um so yeah I feel like it's it's interesting because it is therapeutic for me and some and a lot of times it is therapeutic for the audience 
But part of that struggle I'm realizing now is that when I'm going more into the darker, more real, raw stuff is, uh, I guess, communicating to the audience that it is that this is okay to laugh at. Like, you laughing at this is, like, a form of acceptance for me. But also, I want to do that in a way where I'm not spoon-feeding the audience. Like, I want to give respect to the audience. I think they're smarter than a lot of comics take them for. Um, so, it's kind of, uh, that's kind of, like, my battle right now, I guess, too. But in terms of, like, I guess, making it more therapeutic for me. If it's working for you, you know, as someone who's in the audience, it's working for me. So, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's like, guys, laugh. Please laugh. If you don't laugh, it's all I have, you know? So, but yeah, I get it. How did you adapt to the 2020 lockdown? Oh, that was a really um, tough time for me. So, like, since March 2020 till June 2021, I did no comedy at all. I was thinking about actually quitting altogether. I was, like, super depressed. Um... And then, surprisingly, it was my sister who was like, you, and she's like really mean to me. Like, they're, like you know how little sisters go? I mean, I guess like, she doesn't think I'm cool. She's like a Gen Z kid and all this stuff. But she was like, yo, you were really good. And if you look at the photos of, you, of yourself on stage, you can tell you're genuinely happy and you have talent. You should keep doing it. Um, and so I went into it. But if, the thing is, though, the reason why I was so depressed wasn't really like uh because i feel like the world is falling apart and all that stuff it's it's i feel like there's a little like superficial but i had really bad body dysmorphia where like i felt i wasn't like i gained a lot of weight and like i felt that i was as and i feel terrible because i feel like i'm body shaming another person in this way but like I felt like I was more, like, uglier and bigger than Honey Boo Boo's mom, <laughs> like, Mama June. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot. So I, like, I went on a little bit diet, and, like, I dyed my hair blonde and, like, got colored eye contacts. And then I was like, dude, now I even look, look more like Mama June <laughs> with the blonde hair and everything. But I wanted to go back out there and on stand-up to at least, like, a way that I felt more com- comfortable in my own skin. I mean, I still have issues that I need to work on. Um, so it, it wasn't a really hard time for me to adapt, but I think like the way I did it was kind of like worked on myself, like physically and spiritually and, and um, emotionally, and then dived right in. And it was hard at first. I feel like when you don't, because I was I lived alone in a really tiny apartment in the East Village. Um, that like I had to walk like sideways to go into like I had to change in the bathroom. That's how small it was with my cat. And like, I didn't talk to anybody when you're quarantining and you're living alone. Um, so for me, it was like, it was so hard to talk on stage. Like, I, like my tongue felt lazy and heavy. So it took a bit, a, a, a while, maybe like one or two months, or actually I'm probably like three months for me to like finally speak normally, or at least like normally on stage as I usually do. And then also like the material that way. Um, like just to show you how like, I guess how hard it was for me to talk. Like, I, I guess like how uh, isolated it was during the pandemic is um, one night I had a, I had a friend actually closer. And this is like around like a month before I went back to comedy. Uh, I had a friend visit and she was staying in the living room and um, it was like four in the morning and I couldn't sleep. 
so and she was living in the living room so i couldn't watch tv in the living room and i was hot in my room because our ac wasn't working at that time so i went to the hallway because uh, the hallway had ac in my apartment building and i heard my cat meowing looking for me and i took out my phone and i was about to text yo i'm in the hallway to my cat that's how like, <laughs> like oh my god i need to go outside i need to talk to people and stuff like that and i think that was kind of like the final of like straw but um as long as yeah, that's not answering you're okay <laughs> yeah i have that and that's a real <laughs> that's a real issue but i think like uh it, it was it was a really difficult time and honestly i think right now i'm pretty proud of like how far i've gone in, since that moment like I, I still have like to be honest like the last three weeks has been like a really tough time in terms of like my mental health like i hold myself up to my apartment for the week because i had bad body dysmorphia and bad depression and um then i got a new bits about it you know like i talked about how like I'll, i guess i'll say it now it's a new bit about how um oftentimes i reject dudes or men or even reject compliments i don't feel like i'm hot enough i don't like my body and stuff like that but then i'm like what the hell i'm a one of a kind like i never met another fat asian woman before <laughs> like you know like we're bucket list like i guess like i'm like the state quarter of hawaii we're rare round and weirdly asian so like i found a way to kind of like take that insecurity of how i'm feeling and flip it in a way that made me feel more desirable or and, and, you know and it sucks because like on the other hand I am in a way fetishizing myself, you know, but, um, and, and that's something that I need to work on. But on the other hand too, is that like, for me, I don't really think it is, maybe to some people it is, but for me, it's like, I'm appreciating my body for once and like and appreciating it in a, in a room in society. And especially in a lifetime where I've constantly been told being fat is not great. And especially as an Asian woman. And, I, and so for me, I think that's appreciation and um and goading it in the face of people who are fat phobic and and misogynist um so yeah that's i went on a tangent there but that's kind of like what i'm dealing with at the moment or, or i guess recently well it sounds like you have a really healthy attitude which is great and for all those for all the haters you suck yeah i know they do they, they, but you know i feel like a lot of times people just don't like what they don't know you know and i don't Sometimes I'm afraid of like, here's, from my experience as a journalist is that like when I would write about issues about anti-Asian hate crimes or anti-Muslim hate crimes or write issues about Muslims or Islamophobia, um, my journalists would often say, oh, well, I don't trust this reporter because she's either a liberal or she's Asian or she's Muslim, so therefore she must be biased. And so they already come with some preconceived notions and I don't want to listen to what I have to say, but with comedy which is interesting i performed in like arlington virginia with a whole crowd of republican and they knew that what i was like they knew that i was a liberal they knew that i was a woman they knew that i was japanese i was pro-choice and i was muslim and all this stuff and they still laughed at my jokes and they still accept me for who i am and they didn't get offended like they, they were willing to learn and hear things um and these are people that I guarantee would voted for my whole entire family to be banned from this country. Um, and I, I still have the mentality of like, like I don't really fuck with Trump supporters and stuff like that. But like, but I think I I don't. Sometimes I'm worried of like I guess like at least in terms of my comedy, um, 
breaking that bridge of, I guess, like changing people's minds and like reaching their hearts and souls. So I really feel like comedy has been the most effective way of me doing that. Me sharing my stories, the stories of my community, and elevating our voices. But yeah. Everyone needs to laugh sometimes, so comedy is very universal. Yeah. And that's the thing, I feel like a lot of times, especially like transport, they don't know Muslims, they don't know a lot of Muslims, they don't find us relatable. But when I when I see someone like me who talks about being Muslim, talks about other stuff that we all struggle with as a Muslim, they find oh, they're just like us, which sounds so like stupid, but like sometimes people like don't get that. And so um, that's why I think I appreciate about my comedy and comedy is not a form itself. So I follow a lot of stand up comedians on Instagram and it seems like you guys are quite a fraternity. Are you all really that close and is there maybe a little friendly competition? Yeah, I feel like there is so many different things of like the, the cafeteria scene and mean girls where there's like here's the jocks, here's the here are the kids, here's this. I feel like yeah, we are for the most part very close. Like everyone kinda knows each other and there's certain cliques. And there is definitely friendly and unfriendly unfriendly competition. I think for me like what really sucks is to figure out and navigate what is genuine friendship and what is not genuine friendship. And I uh I don't buy my. I don't like to say like I'm like successful or like I'm doing good or whatever. But I feel like a lot of times I meet people, and it's purely transactional or advantageous where they want either a spot on the show for me or like to meet certain comics or use me as a bridge or or, 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 or leverage for some certain things. And that that really sucks because I'm someone who really do, does value friendships a lot. Um, and that's hard. And I, I think also the other thing too uh, that I realized as a stand-up comic who's always trying to write jokes and find new material is that when you're constantly surrounded by comics and you're only doing comedy, you're not really living life. Like when I'm doing my stand-up, I'm not doing stand-up about comedy. I'm doing stand-up about like my life as you know uh, a Muslim woman or a fat Asian or or, or just a woman or, or, or a racially ambiguous person in general. And so I need to like, I think a lot of comics, myself included, need to like know, remember that we have to like live life and part of that is like making friends and the side of comedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, there is a lot, it is a little fr- like, kind of like a fraternity group. And it's, like, for example, last night I went to this comedy club in New York City. It's not, not a comedy seller, but it's one of like the popular hangs for comics. And it's weird because there are, these are comics who like asked me for show spots before or, who've come to my, oh, I've seen that mics and like, you know, act nice and stuff, but this comedy club, because there's so many pros hanging out there and they want to all get booked there, they acted like really weird and pretentious and snobby and pretended they didn't know who I was, had weird looks with me, and it's like, dude, what's the point? Like, it's not, like, I, I don't understand how some people in show business or any other business feel like it is smart to be an asshole. And like, being mean and being hateful and, and just being rude takes more energy than smiling and saying nothing. <laughs> you know, like how hard is it to say hi? Like why do you have to like huff around and like make side eye and like try to spend all your energy to make someone feel uncomfortable? But then you could have just been there, oh hi, I gotta go, bye. You know, like that's not fucking hard to do. Um, and so I think a lot of times comics lack emotional intelligence or foresight in that regard. <laughs> I think a lot of comics lack self-awareness. Like, I feel like a lot of comics come up to me and be like, like, for example, on I post on Instagram that some comic 
who I only saw, like, the last time I saw her was, like, in March, no, January 2018, a long time ago. And out of nowhere, she was like, hey, bitch, I heard you had a show. Put me on. And I'm like, that's not, like, even if you're saying, hey, bitch, to her, I don't even know you like that. I don't, that's not professional. That's not cool. And I think for them, a lot of comics come in too hot, thinking that's charming and it's funny. But it's, I just think it comes out disrespectful and rude. And I know a lot of people agree that way. So I think, like, yeah, it's just, there are a lot of big personalities. Uh, arrogance and lack of self-awareness is kind of, like, a, a lot. But I will say, for the most part, is that comics are pretty supportive people if you find the right group. And also, as an art form, we are pretty supportive. Like, we will all band together if, like, I guess there is this crusade against having, like, for example, one day there's an ordinance about how there's no mics or shows are allowed in bars in the West Village, for example. God forbid that ever happened, but let's say that. Like, I feel like all the comics will band together and, like, you know, fight against that. We are all unique individuals, I guess. I don't want to categorize everyone, but for the most part, I do I do appreciate a lot of the friends I made in comedy. There are a lot of a few good ones that I uh, consider genuine lifelong friendships, for sure. Very cool. Now, I do want to get something out of the way. We had a brief exchange over Instagram. You're a Marvel fan. I'm DC for life. Yeah. I'm going to give you the opportunity right here and now to explain your position. Go. Marvel just has better stories and also, I think, better representation than DC. And it, for me, as and I hate to keep pulling this card, and you can tell that I've been like brainwashed by society and like, other like edgelord comedians but apologizing justifying me talking about being a Muslim woman of color and stuff like that but like we have Shang-Chi we have Miss Marvel we have Captain Marvel we have like stories about women and, and people from marginalized communities and like underrepresented communities in a way that it is empowering and uh, that's why I love Marvel so much. Like even the backstory of like Magneto is so interesting as like a Holocaust survivor. Like it, I just feel like their characters are far more complex and complicated than other DC characters. I think it's so cool about Marvel characters. A lot of them is that they sure they have superpowers, but might find that cheating. But like they found superpowers through moments of trauma, and they use that. Uh, as a source of good or, or a source of like I guess empowerment and I think for me I'm just a soft spot for that as a as a you know a sexual assault survivor as someone who like grew up with Islamophobia like who dealt a lot of trauma and trying to find I guess empowerment or having my agency back through those moments and I think Marvel does a really good job of like doing that but like even at your lowest of lows you can still rise up and you know have take your life back seek power back take take your power back through marvel and and that's just my take on it i don't know and i also just i think wonder woman has skimpy outfits and i feel like if i'm doing cosplay i feel more comfortable in my skin if i dress as black widow or like captain marvel i just feel more comfortable like like that i'm 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 gonna respect your position (laughs) thanks okay so what advice would you give for anyone looking to break into stand-up comedy yeah so I think the first advice a lot of comics get that I think is misguided, and I used to agree with this, but now I disagree with it, um, is that a lot of people, they just be funny. 
and like trying to be funny first. And I think that's really ill advised. It's fine, like if if you're you're more you want to be more edgy. I feel like I, I consider myself more of an edgy comic as well. But all these comics like comics like Shane Gillis, who honestly I think like he's undeniably funny. Same as Andrew Schultz. I might not agree with them, but I, I do think they're undeniably funny. Them and like Ari Shafir, where like they say very edgy, controversial things. But a lot of times, like most of the times, the reason why they're so successful is that they offer a different point of view. I might not agree with the point of view, but there is substance in that comedy. And I feel like a lot of comics, particularly men, see those edgelord comedians, and all they take away from it is the offensive joke, like the offensive punchlines or whatever. And they don't add any substance, and it just becomes like just five or ten minutes of just like terrible jokes that at the at the expense of certain people that really offer no takeaway at all and also that what they find funny they end up emulating their comics that they like so they're not sitting out they're not being individuals or not having their own voice they're just doing a very um concentrated version of their favorite comics so my thing is that what i my advice is to like a number one write, 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 figuring out what you want to say on stage is really important. Like, what's your point of view? What's, what are you offering to the audience? B, um, then, like, obviously trying to find the punchline through that. But, and C, I think also, like, stage time is important. I think a lot of comics, was, and it gets me really annoyed, is that comics will start one or two months in, and then they want to get, get start getting booked on shows everywhere, and then they get mad that they're not getting booked on shows. And I feel like that's not... Comedy is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, like, maybe TikTok might change things, but I've seen so many famous TikTokers who have a lot of followers. Maybe be funny on TikTok, but they bomb on shows. Like, I don't want to say who, but there was a um, very famous TikTok celebrity that uh, dropped in on the show that I did, and completely tanked the show. Like, it was so bad. And I feel like people need to take time. Like, good things take time. Like, getting better it takes time. And I think they need to focus on, you know, spending three to six months hitting open mics, figuring out what's funny, figuring out what they're saying, figuring out their point of view and, um, and, and if they're actually funny, and just doing the hard work. And then getting a good tape out of it and then sending it to other people. Don't expect to, like, need to get booked on shows and, like, you know, open on the road for, you know, pro comments. Not, it's, it's a, it makes a fool out of yourself. And also, like, I don't know, my take on it, maybe for me, I don't like a lot of, like, ask guessing. Like, I feel like it's, like, I, I hang out at some comedy clubs, too, and, and stuff, but, like, Sometimes I see the New York New York comics hanging out at clubs, kind of stalk the pro comics, and like kiss their ass and like and like kind of suffocate them. And I feel like that's a really bad first impression because you show yourself more as like a fan than like a serious comic, you know. And I feel like and also the other thing too, you know, I don't want to be known personally as a comic who hangs around at clubs uh, that they're not performing at. I want to be known as a comic who performs at that club. So I think it's like a mix of like figuring out what you want to say, getting up and, and doing the stage time, doing the hard, gritty work, and then like see uh, like being a serious comic and like respecting the boundaries of other pro comics, but like but also recognizing that like before you obsess with the hang, 
obsessed with the craft first and improving yourself as the comic first. That's really good advice. Before we sign off, because the little counter is going off and mm-hmm. driving up my anxiety, how can people find you on social media to learn more about you, get performance dates, etc.? Yeah, the best way is Instagram. Um, I'm at, at Sarah Amy Harvard on Instagram. So that's S A R A H A M Y in Harvard, like the college. Um, and uh, on Twitter, I have a different uh, handle. It's um, at Amy, A M Y, uh, Harvard underscore. And then um, you can follow me on Facebook, but I mostly just use Instagram for my shows and. Um, yeah, my shows are going on tour. I have a newsletter for comedy. It's called Simping Sarah. And you can all find the link in my Instagram link in bio, um, as well as my Twitter link bio. Um, but yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Okay, everyone, go check her out. You will not be disappointed. Sarah, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I had a blast. Appreciate it. Okay, I'm so glad. And everyone, this is Derek Upright and State of the Arts reminding you to keep it safe and keep it fun.